Welcome to the Scotts Hill Podcast, Tuesday Theology Edition. At Scotts Hill, one of our core values is studying God's Word. So on Tuesday nights, our pastors teach a class focused on topics within systematic theology. They do this to equip our people with the right knowledge of God. This podcast is a recording of that teaching session. Enjoy. Well, good evening. It's 7 o'clock. That means it's time to start. And so it's good to see you tonight. As we uh, get things started, let's open up with a word of prayer and uh, we'll get everything underway. Fathers, we come before you tonight. We thank you for the day that you've given us. Father, it's a day that uh, you've made, a day that we can rejoice. And uh, Father, in this day, we just give you praise for who you are. Uh, you are worthy of all praise. And uh, in this night, as we come together and we look uh, at studying um, systematic theology and the doctrine of creation. We pray that you would guide us in our time together. Help us to grasp and understand uh, the things that can be known and those things that can't be known. Father, let us have faith uh, to trust in you. Uh, Father, be with us tonight. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. If you will, take out a half sheet of paper, put your name at the top of it. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> thought I would say, yeah, some of you panicked like I used to do in school, so uh, I, I kind of see that. Uh, listen, I want to welcome you tonight as we uh, begin our time together uh, looking at chapter 7 of the doctrine of creation, and as we begin our time together, let me just ask you a question to begin with. What is it that amazes you, that just simply amazes you about the creation of our great God? Okay, the expanse of it, the human body, the what? The complexities, okay? All right, very good. Anybody else? A lot of great answers there. Well, as we begin our time, of course, we are looking at the doctrine of creation. And so we're going to walk through uh, our, our study tonight and just kind of break the chapter down into an outline form. We'll kind of walk through that. I'll lecture through that time. And then we'll have some wrap-up questions uh, toward the very end. But... Um, as we begin our time together, we looked at the doctrine of creation and we saw that it was defined uh, as, as this. It is that God created the entire universe, ex nihilo, or out of nothing, right? And it was originally good and it was created to glorify himself. And so that was the definition of the doctrine of creation. Now, as we got into our reading, we discovered that there are aspects about creation that some are most clearly taught through the Scripture, and some are not clearly taught through the Scripture. Uh, there are some that most evangelical Christians would agree on, uh, and there are others that have been major disagreement, disagreements throughout time. And so we see that. But as we begin our time, we just want to start with where our author began, and that was that when we think about creation, that God created everything in the universe out of nothing. He created the universe out of nothing. Uh, now, when we think about this aspect of creation, that God created all things out of nothing, it really comes down to being a matter of faith, right? Uh, it's a matter of our faith, of trusting in God and trusting what His Word tells us. The Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, that by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so we know from our study, and we know from our study of God's Word, and we see it in Genesis 1-1, that God created, in the beginning, God created, right? Uh, he created the heavens and the earth. And as we move on from verse 2 to verse 3, we begin to see the even how He created and the process that He used in creation. Because in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Genesis, it said that God said, let there be light, and there was light. All right, so we see that God created with a spoken word. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, you ought to circle that word said because it's very important in the doctrine of creation and understanding the ways uh, that God has made things. God simply spoke and creation happened. It just happened. Uh, I mean, just imagine God is there in the beginning before the foundations of the world are in place, and all of a sudden he begins to speak land, water, birds, whale, flower, trees. You, you get the picture on and on. God's spoken word, he begins to create. And this is a 
an essential truth that we don't need to miss out on because it's the truth of what God's Word tells us from the very beginning of God's Word. What materials did he use? He used nothing. That's what he means. God created out of nothing. It is just his word. Now, sometimes that's hard to grasp because we understand that we are made in his image and we, in essence, can be creative in ourselves. Some of you are probably creative in things that you do. Maybe you do crafts. Maybe you paint. Maybe you do woodwork. But you all begin with what? Something, right? But God began with nothing. Everything was created out of nothing. Now, because God created the entire universe out of nothing, no matter, um, there was no matter in the universe, and no matter in the universe is eternal. In Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. And it just reminds us that God is sovereign over all things. He rules over all of the universe, and all of the universe has been created uh, by Him, and all of creation is to worship Him and Him alone, nothing in addition to our God. To deny that God created all things out of nothing would say that some matter has always existed and that it is eternal like God. But in doing so, we found from our reading that this idea would challenge God's independence. It would challenge his sovereignty. Uh, and it, would, it is the fact that our worship is due for him and him alone. And if matter existed from, apart from God, then, it, uh, then what inherent right would God have to rule over the created earth and the created universe that he has made? We could have no confidence that we, uh, that we, could we have every aspect of the universe and ultimately fulfill God's purpose if there was some part already in existence, if some parts were not created by Him. Now, there were biblical evidences for the creation out of nothing, and we saw those. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 33, verse 6, by the word of the Lord, uh, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all of their host. Acts 17, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and of earth. Revelation 4, 11, one that we're, we're familiar with because of our series that we're in, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, right? So God created all of the universe and all of the physical world that we see, but he didn't stop there. He also created a spiritual universe or a spiritual realm. He didn't stop with the physical. He created those things that cannot be seen. The spiritual realm includes the angels and the heavenly host and all kinds of heavenly beings. He created all of these things. And we see indications of this through the scripture in Nehemiah through Ezra's prayer found in Nehemiah 9 verse 6, which was on the screen at the beginning. But that scripture says that you are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of the heavens and with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you, the host of heaven. He has created a spiritual realm. The apostle Paul speaks of this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, when he talks about all things. Christ created all things in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so we see that God has made not only the physical universe, the things that we can see, but he has also made a spiritual realm that is around us. Now, the positive side of this aspect of creation and the thing that we can find is because it was made by uh, a divine creator and by our God, we understand that the universe and this world that we live in has purpose and it has meaning and it comes from him. We also find that the purpose of that creation and of our lives is that we do what? That we glorify him. It's exactly right. All of creation has been made for him and for his glory. Now, we found as we looked at creation, not only that God has made all things out of nothing, but we find that there's a special creation and when we talk about the creation of Adam and Eve, right, of man and woman. 
What makes the creation of Adam and Eve different from the creation of the world in which we live in? Okay, they were made in his image, okay? Okay, they were made from things already made, all right? When God created the world that we see around us, it says that he spoke and it came into existence, right? So he created the land, he created the waters, and he saw those things, they were good. But when he created Adam and Eve, it says that he took dirt from the ground and he fashioned that into a man, right? And he created man and he gave, he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and he was a living being, a, a living man. And then we know from the Genesis account that there was no suitable helper for Adam. And so he causes a deep sleep to come upon him. And there he takes one of his ribs and he fashions and he creates what? Woman, right? And so we find that there's a different creation of Adam and Eve than there is of the rest of creation. And we understand that we are made in his image, okay? Now, as we think about the creation of man and, and woman and what has taken place, we can go to Genesis chapter 2. And we can look at verse 7, where the Lord God formed man from the ground and breathed into his nostrils. We can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that talks about the creation of man, the creation of woman, and see it there. Man was not made for woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man, because there was not a suitable helper. But as we discovered, as we read in this, Christians began to differ on the extent which the evolutionary developments have, may have occurred after creation, okay? According to some, leading to the development of more and more complex organisms, all right? And while there are sincerely held differences on that question among Christians in respect to animal and plant life, these texts that point to the creation of Adam and Eve are so explicit that it would be very difficult for someone to hold to the, to the complete truthfulness of Scripture and still hold that human beings are the result of a long evolutionary process. It would be, almost be impossible to, to believe that. Though we may be like animals, we discovered, we are uh, in many ways in our physical bodies, we are very different from animals, right? We are created in the image of God. That was stated, all right? God has made us in His image. He has made us as the pinnacle of His creation. We are at the top of His creation. We are more like God than any other creature that He has made. And He has put us at the top and put us in authority to rule and subdue the world around us. And so He has placed us in a place of authority in this world that we live in. And so there is a different status in the creation of man and woman when we look at the created things, okay? We are different from the world around us. Then as you move through the reading, it began to, you looked at the Trinity last week. I was kind of, somebody called me out and said I must have been trying to reiterate the Trinity with my tables up here, but I, I wasn't. I just need more space. Um, as you looked at the Trinity, when we look at creation, we see that the Trinity is involved in creation. We know from our reading that God initiated the, the act of creation. We find that all things are created through by Jesus Christ, all right? And we find that it's the Holy Spirit that brings life and brings uh, to all things that are created. And so we see in the aspect of creation that the Godhead is completely in, in unison and working together in this thing called creation, all right? And so we see how the Holy Spirit and the Son work together with God the Father in bringing these things about. And of course, you had Scripture uh, that brought those things to light, and hopefully you were able to look through those, okay? Um, we then found that creation is distinct from God, yet always dependent upon God, right? Uh, God is, uh, creation is distinct from God, yet always dependent on God. We came to understand that the Bible teaches the relationship between God and his creation is a unique one, okay? It's unique and it's different from all the other religions of this world. The Bible teaches that God is distinct from his creation. He is not part of it. For he has made it, he is sovereign, he rules over it. God is transcendent of his creation, meaning he is far above, he is greater than the things that he has made, and he is independent of it. And we looked at that in some of his attributes, right? That he is independent. 
So he is independent of his creation. But we also discovered from our reading that God is also imminent. Though he is far above and greater than all of creation, he is actively involved in this world and this universe that he has made. He remains actively involved in the universe that he has made. In fact, the Bible is the story of God's involvement with his creation, and it continues to this day. He is actively involved in the lives of the people who are his followers. He is actively involved in the created world around him and sustaining this world in this universe. And so though he is transcendent and greater, he is actively involved. Now, you saw some wrong beliefs that come about when we think about creation and the created world around us, okay? One of those was materialism, okay? Uh, it's a very atheistic uh, uh, theology and understanding of philosophy. Uh, it's the denying of the existence of God and believing that only the material universe is what exists, right? That only the things that we can see and touch are the things that really exist, can you, ima- can you imagine the hopelessness and despair of being in that philosophy, of thinking that this is all there is? There's nothing else to live for, only the things that we see. Then we saw the aspect and the philosophy of pantheism, the belief that God is in what? Everything, all right? That God is in everything or that the whole universe is God. All right. Uh, God is in the things that we see. God is in the trees. God is in nature. All right. We, we see a lot of pantheistic belief in our world and our culture around us today. Right. Uh, there are those who are enamored with God's creation so much thinking that it is God himself. But in this, God has no distinct personality. Uh, he is no longer immutable or unchangeable because the universe is forever doing what? It's forever changing, all right? And so we see that. Moreover, God would no longer be holy because uh, this, this physical world that we live in and this universe that we live in is what? It's unholy, it's evil, all right? And so God would no longer be holy if he was in the evil that we saw around us. And so it destroys not only the personal identity of our God and our creator, but it also destroys human beings as well uh, and what we are, okay? So there's pantheism. Then there was the aspect in the philosophy of dualism, all right? The idea that God and the material universe have existed eternally side by side. And what was his illustration of this? Star Wars, all right? You saw some, uh, you saw some uh, planetary things hanging in the door because they're having a youth function tomorrow, and it's actually a Star Wars theme. So uh, uh, get that, all right? Uh, so we hope they're not into dualism, which they're not. They're just having some fun. Uh, but in dualism, it's the idea that God and the material things were eternally existing side by side. Uh, what's the problem with the philosophy of dualism? One of the problems is there's a constant conflict, right, uh, between God and the evil aspects of the material universe. Uh, the philosophy would deny God's ultimate sovereignty and his lordship over all of creation, uh, and also that creation came about because of his purpose, his plan, his will. It would be taking that away, and that it is to be used solely uh, for his purposes, and that is to glorify him. Uh, This would also deny that all the universe was created inherently good. Uh, If matter existed at the same time, God eternally, and there are are there evil things in the world today, how could all things be created inherently good? Then there was the, the wrong philosophy of deism, which a lot of our founding fathers were deists, all right? Uh, And they found themselves in this philosophy, and it generally holds that God created the universe that he is far greater than the universe, that he's transcendent in that way. However, it denies uh, his involvement in creation. It denies his eminence uh, in creation. And it's a belief that basically God becomes a divine clockmaker and he winds the clock up and at the beginning of time, he sets it off and now it's just ticking away and he's removed his hands from it. Um, It's interesting that many cultural Christians and lukewarm in their faith would fall into the category of being deists because they live their lives as practical deists every day. 
They lived their lives almost totally devoid of prayer, uh, of worship, of fear of God, of trusting God in their everyday affairs uh, and the things that are taking place in their life. And they live as if he has just put them in this place and he's taken hands off. But we know that God is intimately acquainted with our ways and who we are. He knows every hair on our head, and he cares about us, and we can trust him in these things. So we see these philosophies that are wrong in their understanding of the created world around us. Then as we moved on into the study, we found that God created the universe, and we've said it already, uh, to show his glory, to show his glory. Uh, In creation, we see... Uh, God's great power. We see God's great wisdom in all things. It was not that God needed more glory. Uh, we discovered it wasn't in some way that he was incomplete uh, within the Godhead and the Trinity. Uh, God did not need to create the universe and the world in which we live. It was solely his decision and by his plan and his purpose and by his will. Um, it was a free act of his God desired to create it and in doing so he demonstrates all of these attributes that he has and his excellence in every way some of the scripture that backs up the reason of his creation Isaiah 43 verse 7 everyone who is called by by my name whom I created for my glory whom I formed and made Psalm 19:1. the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above declares his handiwork uh, Revelation 4.11, again, we see it again. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive what? Glory and honor and power. Why? Because he created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then Jeremiah 10, verse 12. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understandings, stretched out the heavens. And we see that God has made all things for one purpose, and that is for his ultimate glory. And then we see that in the initial state, the universe that God created was what? It was good. It was good. Uh, We come to understand it. If we go to Genesis and we look at the creation account, we find that every time he creates something, he says, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and he saw that there was light, and he said it was good and with every aspect of creation he said it was good with the exception of one and what was that creation man and when he created man what did he say it is very good all right a distinct difference and so we see that the apostle paul writing to timothy in verse in chapter 4 verse 4 and 5 says for everything created by god is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And so we see that creation in its original uh, time was created and it was good. Okay? Now, those are the things that we probably pretty much land on and would find agreement. Uh, People all across uh, the evangelical community would find agreement that creation was good, that it's created for God's glory, that God created out of nothing. Uh, The creation of man... We can't argue the fact that God has created us and fashioned us and we're different than the rest of creation. But then we begin to get to things that kind of get different because science begins to try to figure things out, right? And that's where the, the water gets muddy a little bit and we begin to get a little bit confused. And there's some questions that we will never know, right? Until more study is done, all right? or until God completely reveals things to us uh, when we are in his presence. But there's some things that we don't even need to know, right? We, by faith, trust in God. But what is the relationship between Scripture and the findings of modern science? When it comes to creation, the questions about how all things came into being has caused much division, even among biblical Christians and believers. But Genesis 1, verse 3, we've already looked at it. Uh, we find that God said, let there be light, and there was light. You know what? That settles it for me. Settles it for me. Uh, That's how God created. God spoke it, and it came into being. However, that's not enough for For us, is it? (laughs) We want the answers to the questions. We want to know the how 
behind him speaking it. And so there are major views that come out as we begin to think about modern science and, and, and what the scripture tells us. Uh, and they're important for us to understand. Uh, and the first one we've looked at is the supernatural creation, that God has created all things by speaking them into being and by creating them by his physical hand and breathing life into them. Uh, but as we consider these things, how does it stack up against modern science? Uh, we must remember, as it came out in your reading from the quote from Francis Schaeffer, that when all the facts are rightly understood, there will be no final conflict between what Scripture says and what natural science says. Why? Scripture's true. Science is also what? It's, it's true in the sense that who created all the laws of science? Our God did. So when the final thing comes out, there'll be no contradiction, all right? Uh, because God is the one who's created all of the, of the uh, natural laws that are in place. But some of the theories about creation that are clearly and consistent with the scriptures of teaching, and these were brought out in your reading. Uh, one was the secular atheist theories. Uh, basically, uh, any theory of origin in the universe that does not see the infinite personal God as being responsible for creating the universe by intelligent design. Basically, denying the existence of God and saying that he was not involved. Uh, those who believe uh, that the world came forth in a big bang, all right? They would be a secular atheist theory, all right, in their, in their thought, all right, uh, because they hold that matter has always existed. Uh, so it would be inconsistent with the teaching of Scripture. Uh, then we began to look at theistic evolution, which a lot of people have tried to jump onto to try to bring balance between science and what the Scripture says. And so we find that theistic evolution uh, arose uh, after the publication of Charles Darwin's Origin of Species by the Means of Natural Selection. And its belief is that God guided the process of evolution, advocating belief in God and evolution too. All right. Those who hold this view would propose that God intervened in the process at some crucial points, and usually there are three points where they say God intervened. The creation of matter at the beginning, the creation of the simplest life form, and the creation of man. All right. The theory is attractive to some because it seems that we can have both ideas, all right? Uh, the easiest way to solve an argument is to say that everyone is right. All right? Can we truly do that with evolution and creation, though? Will the two ideas fit together? Um, with the possible exception of those points, theistic evolutionists hold that evolution proceeded in ways now discovered by natural scientists and that it was the process that God decided to use in allowing all other forms of life to develop, all right? The problem with any form of theistic evolution is that it is designed by chance. It is designed by chance. It's like a square circle. There's no such thing, all right? There's no such thing. Blending evolution with creation is like putting a square peg into a round hole is what your author said. All right? It just doesn't fit. Evolution as theory supposes that God is non-existent or is absent as life is being created on our planet. It's as if he's removed himself from the equation. To take that theory has its foundation on the idea that God was not part of the creation process and then try to add God back into the theory. It has some, uh, some obvious and fatal problems. It's like taking the foundation out from under the house and then trying to put it back on top of the house, all right? We know what God's Word says, but we're going to remove that. We're going to put this here, then we're going to try to put God's Word back on top. It just doesn't work. Examination of scriptural data reveals that theistic evolution is at odds with the biblical account of creation and the reasons would be these. And this was one of your questions of why theistic evolution is inconsistent with Scripture. And the first is this, that we see uh, that there is a purpose in God's work, and it's not just randomness. Things did not just happen, 
all right? Uh, the, God's work of creation is not compatible with the randomness that is demanded by evolutionary theory. Uh, look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. And it says, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to what? Their kinds. According to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. All right? My great ancestors weren't a frog. All right? Uh, and God says, we have been created special. We did not come through this mutation and random mutation through time. This, the fact that Scripture teaches us that God's Word brings an immediate response is not compatible with theistic evolution theory that teaches about random mutations of living things. All right? It's not compatible with that. God spoke it and it was. God spoke it and it was. God spoke it and it was. All right? That's what we trust. That's what we believe. It's not consistent with that thought. And it goes back uh, to the passage uh, from Psalms um, 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By his word, they were made. All right? Uh, third reason that it's not compatible with biblical Christianity and the biblical account of creation is that plants and animals reproduce after their kind. Dogs still produce dogs, all right? We see that still happening today. Uh, cows still produce cows, you know. All of these things are still true today, all right? Uh, we see that God forms all living things. God has created. Um, look at Psalm, look at Psalm, it's one that you'll know. Uh, but look at Psalm 139, all right? If you got your Bibles there. Look at Psalm 139, uh, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. All right? Who formed, who formed David in his mother's womb? It was God. By his work and his will and his plan of the way things take place. And so God forms all living things. We can go back to the special creation of Adam and Eve and see that he fashioned them from the dirt of the ground, that he created woman from Adam's rib, that he breathed life into them, and he set them apart for a purpose. You see, there's scientific problems with evolution and this random mutation and this chance uh, that takes place. Now, as you began to kind of go through your reading, you came to the aspect of Darwinian uh, theory of evolution. And it kind of led you, and Pastor Phil talked about this several weeks ago, that when it comes to the aspect of evolution, there is microevolution and there's macroevolution. And we see uh, this aspect of microevolution uh, evidence even today where there's small develop developments within a known species uh, of changes that take place. But when we're talking about evolution that Darwin is talking about, we're talking about a uh, the word macroevolution uh, that is being used, and that is the general theory of evolution. And that view is that non-living substances, you get that, non-living substances gave rise to the first living material, which subsequently reproduced and diversified to produce all extinct and extant, that means those that are gone and those that are still here, organisms, all right? So non-living things became living things. You ever seen that happen? All right. All right, challenges to this process and this, this thought of macroevolution or Darwinian's evolution um, is one, the limited variation in breeding, all right? Limited variation in breeding. Uh, after hundreds of years of intentional, okay, trying to intentionally make things change, th scientists, all right? Not random acts of change uh, in breeding. Dogs are still dogs. Fruit flies are still fruit flies. Frogs are still frogs. Cats are still cats. Yes. You get it? It's the same. It's the same, all right? Uh, so that's one of the major challenges with evolution. The second is animal or organs are too complex to happen by random mutations, 
Uh, in fact, your, your author and the, the writer of this says that it is effectively a 0% chance. That's pretty high percentage rate, right? No, it's slim to none. It's none, all right? Our body, somebody, when we talked about what, what amazed you about God's creation, one of the things that came out was the complexity of which God has created things. Not just with the human body, but with the beak of a bird or, or the wings of a bird. All of the things in creation being made exactly the way he needs them to be made. Do you understand and, and know that a woodpecker banging their beak into the side of a tree is at a force that it should give them a brain damage immediately, right? It should break the beak. It should fill his nostrils with sawdust. But God, in the complexity, made him in such a way that he can all day, and he can wake you up in the morning, can he? All right? But he's made in such a way, it's too complex. It just doesn't happen by random chance. A third reason and third challenge is that the fossil record is incomplete, and it's Darwin's greatest problem. There have never been any fossils in an intermediate state of discovery. That was a major problem in 1859, and it is still the problem today. We have found no fossil evidence of something mutating to something else, though we have found fossil evidence of created things exactly in their present state, right? So that was a major problem. Uh, common characteristics of molecular structures of li living organisms do not imply common ancestry. That means that there are some things that are similar, right? Uh, but it doesn't mean that we are inherently uh, common ancestors, all right? Uh, monkeys may have digits, right? You, as, and I love, I love the illustration. When Henry Ford made the, the what did he make first, the Model A? That would seem to make sense, right? Uh, the A would be the for the T, right? Would make sense in my brain, but I'm not a, I don't go for classic cars. But anyway... If he, makes, if he makes a steering mechanism that works in his first model and it works great, is he going to reinvent that when he makes his second model car? No, he's going to use what he had, right? So in God's creation of things, when things begin to, to see and, and he's making things, just because he seems to make things in a similar fashion doesn't mean that we have a common ancestry. It just means that God is God and he made us the way he wanted to make us. And he created us in that fashion, okay? Uh, another problem is that we cannot, uh, evolution cannot explain how life began or begins. Um, you know the question in Darwinian evolution of how things began? It's in your reading. What do they say? It just, <laughs> it just happened. That's concrete, isn't it? No, it's not, all right? Um, none of these challenges uh, come, and this was important in your study. None of these challenges come from the Bible versus science, all right? And this may have come out of the big book. It may not be in your book, so I may have said you read this. You may not have read this. None of this comes from Bible versus science, which the secular scientific community would dismiss as what? Superstitious? Irrational? All right? These arguments are simply made from examining the evidence found in the natural world and taking and asking where the evidence leads. It's science versus science. It's not Bible versus science. Listen, evolution can't even stand up against its own field. All right? Why do you think... <laughs> Why do you think evolution is held on to so much within the secular society and in our world today? Without a God, they don't have another option. They don't want to believe in the existence of a God because if they acknowledge the existence of God, they are what? They are accountable to Him. All right? If they deny the existence of God, they have no accountability for their life. And so this is science against science. There's some destructive influence of influences of evolutionary theory. And the first is this, that life holds no significance, leading to a sense of despair. 
leading to a sense of despair. Uh, if there is no creator who has made us, where is our hope? Is this all that there is to life, all right? Uh, there are no, more ab- no, no moral absolutes. There's no moral authority in our life. All of life is subjective, all right? We begin to live our life the way we want to. The aspect of racial superiority comes to the forefront, and, and who was one who pushed this racial superiority to the forefront? Okay, Hitler, all right? Uh, in that, there's no care for the weak and the downtrodden and the less fortunate. Uh, the trustworthiness, trustworthiness of Scripture is negated. If, if, if evolution is true, then how can we believe any of this, right? Well, we have said that this is what? God's Word is true. He spoke it. It holds meaning for our life, all right? Holds truth for our life. Um, and it also brings us to the devaluation of human life and the exaltation of all other animals. And we see that more today than ever before. We see the devaluation of human life when the sea turtles on North Topsail Beach hold more importance than the babies who are in a mother's womb. We see it every day. We see it all across our TV screens when the ads come, a, come across for all of the puppies who are in, who are in captivity and we, they're, they're calling out for us and they're elevating the created life. Now, I'm not saying, listen, as, as those who are to rule and to subdue the world around us, we should care for the world around us and the created things, right? We should, but we should never give them prominence over human life. And it devalues human life when we begin to buy into the evolutionary theory. Okay? Now, as we move further into the reading, you come to the age of the earth. All right? A lot of questions. All right? I heard some of you talking. Some of you were drilling me on this as you came in the door tonight. Was I going to answer the question for you? All right? So what is the age of the earth? And in Grudem's systematic theology, he states that he brings this up uh, here uh, after all of the things that we've already discussed uh, because it's much less important, all right, than the doctrines that we just considered in looking at, uh, at biblical creation and supernatural creation and, and all of these things. But when it comes to answering the question on the age of the earth, there's been much debate among Bible-believing Christians, sometimes heated debate. That ought not be. We ought to be able to discuss things without getting in a fight, right? All right? Uh, But there's been much debate. Two primary options, of course, are the old earth position that believes in modern science that the earth is 4.5 billion years old. Then there is the young earth position that believes that the earth is 10,000 to 20,000 year olds and that the secular dating systems are incorrect, of course, the difference in these two views is enormous. 4,499,980,000 to be exact, right? Those who hold to the old earth position believe that the six days of creation refer to long periods of time and not 24-hour days. And most who hold to this view believe that the earth is 4.5 billion years old and that the universe around us is some 15 billion years old. Now, one of the most common viewpoints to support this belief is a thing called the day-age view, the day-age view. And in this view, it states that the days of Genesis are extremely, extremely long ages of time. Now, the evident advantage of this view is that if current scientific estimate for an earth of 4.5 billion years old is correct, it explains how the Bible is consistent with this fact. You can kind of bring the two together. Uh, The view is sometimes called the concordist view because it seeks to bring into concord or into agreement the Bible and science, all right? Offer conclusions about dating. Um, A lot more can be said about the day-age theory. You can go to Answers in Genesis and you can look at day-age theory. You can get Grudem's systematic theology, which goes into deeper depth about these things, and you can look at what day-age theory is. There is also 
uh, a theory or a, a, a thing that is view, a view that's held is called literary framework. Uh, and the view that the uh, other old earth evangelicals hold to. And this view says that the six days of Genesis 1 are not meant to indicate a chronological sequence of events, but it's just a literary framework. It's just a literary framework that's used to teach us about God's creative activity, all right? There's less people that would hold to the literary framework than there is the day-age view, is what I have found. Uh, those who hold to a young earth position reject the dating systems that currently give an age of millions of years to the earth. They argue that the earth is instead quite young. Uh, as we said, perhaps 10 to 20,000 years old. Uh, those who hold this position generally advocate one of two positions. And the first is this. Many believe that God created the earth with the appearance of age even from day one. All right? God can do that. God can do anything. He's God. All right? Um, this is known as mature creationism. And since it affirms the fact that God created mature creation, that's why it's called it. The appearance of Adam and Eve as full-grown adults is an obvious example of mature creationism. They appeared as though they had lived for maybe 20, 25 years when they were, in fact, less than a day old, right? Right, so we kind of see that mature creation could take place. It's something God could do. Now, there are some struggles and some problems even with that thought, all right? Uh, those didn't come out in your reading, but you can find more material as you want to go deeper in looking at even the struggles and the problems that may come up with mature creationism, all right? Uh, similarly, uh, we can think about this and, and look at the world around us in mature creationism. Uh, when Adam and Eve were created, they probably saw the stars the first night they lived, but the stars, uh, the light from the stars would take thousands, if not even millions of years to reach the earth, right? That suggests that God created the stars with light beams already in place, all right? Uh, Full-grown trees would probably have been, uh, been in the garden, they would have had rings, all right? Uh, Adam and Eve, when God told them uh, to, to take uh, trees of the garden, eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, which ones they could eat of, which ones they did not, they didn't have to wait on the seedling to pop up and grow a tree to produce fruit. There was fruit, all right? Uh, and so we see that same with vegetation. Uh, but there are some struggles with it that you can look. And so as you do so, encourage you uh, to look at further study, all right? Uh, the second position common among evangelicals, uh, which many of you may have heard of, many of you may have kind of landed here. Uh, it's become very prominent in these last 15, 20 years. And that is called flood geology flood geology. It's a view that the tremendous natural forces unleashed by the flood at the time of Noah in Genesis 6 through 9 significantly altered the face of the earth, causing the creation of coal and diamonds, for example, within the space of a year rather than hundreds of millions of years. Because of the extremely high pressure exerted by the water on the earth, uh, these things took place. Uh, this view claims that the flood also deposited fossils in layers uh, of incredibly thick sediment all over the earth. We'll kind of explain why you can find shrimp fossils in the mountains of the Grand Canyon, right? Uh, and things such as that. That kind of would give explanation to that. It's a very popular view. Uh, the geological argument puts, uh, put forth by advocates of this view um, are, are technical and difficult uh, for a non-specialist to evaluate and to even figure out if it's, if it's real. It's interesting to note that those who kind of push this view and this position, position have persuaded almost no professional geologist, even those who are Bible-believing Christians, that this is fact. All right? Uh, and they haven't gotten many now. Now, it continues to gain ground, and there are scientists who are now, because of further study after the writing of Grudem's books, and he's just reprinted and put out a new edition of this study, uh, but there have been more discovery in the years since he have done these. But uh, in looking at that, um, the books objecting to evolution, uh, cro the Chronicles of Evolution Theory and Darwin's Evolution, scientists 
came against that theory, all right? And so it was science versus science that came against him. We have had no uh, geologist really come up and come and say that, yes, this uh, can be proven in, in the things that we see. The conclusion, here you go, those who wanted to know. On the age of the earth, it's clear that when we're looking at the various positions that we are in need of further understanding. All right? Uh, we're in need of further understanding. Scripture seems to be more easily understood to suggest but not require a young earth view. I tend to hold to a young earth view. Uh, it's hard to, to, to kind of take science and try to make heads or tails out of it sometimes, but I hold to a young earth view. I just trust God by faith of what he's done and what he says. Uh, and so I, I kind of would rather land here than in a science book. Uh, and so I, I kind of land there. Um, you know, while the observable facts of creation uh, seem increasingly in favor <clears throat> of an old earth view, uh, both views are possible. So there's no answer to your question tonight from here, right? We just don't know. We don't have all the facts. Further study needs to be done. We need more Christians to rise up and become scientists who will begin to look into the, into the theories and the things that are being said. There are more. I mean, Ken Ham and, and the people with Answers in Genesis have put together and assembled teams of people who are looking into the evidence of flood geology, right? And so we see this increasing more and more and more. Uh, but there are things that we just don't know at this point and this time, and so we need further understanding. So where does that leave us? Well, we trust that God created all things. We trust that God created all things out of nothing. God said it, and it was, all right? Uh, we trust in those things, and as we look at the world around us, what do we do? Well, there's some application points that came out of your reading, and it came out of the verse, uh, Psalm 111, verse 2. It says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. We look at the world around us and we begin to study it. We look for evidence of God all around us. But as we look at the things around us, we see that all creation is good and it's intended for its very purpose to bring God glory, to bring him glory. Um, as we look at the world around us and we study it and we marvel at it, because when I came and we talked about the incommunicable attributes of God, one of the things that y'all came out of, you talked about creation over and over and over again that night, right? We're enamored by the beauty of the world that God has placed us in, and this place doesn't even hold a candle to what we will be when we, be in, when we are in his presence and glory, right? It's going to be better. But when we look at the world around us, we give thanks to our God for the beauty and the wonder of his creation. And we show him appreciation for the things that he has made as we enjoy the world around us. Because, listen, he created us. <laughs> he put us here. And he intends that we enjoy the world that he has made for us. All right? We engage in scientific and technological research to discover more about the goodness of our great God uh, and the abundant creation that he has made. Uh, or if we don't become a scientist, we might have one on the end of the table over there, right? Then we support, we support people who can help us discover more. You can support answers in Genesis and the work that they do and, and trying to find answers to these things. Uh, recognize and praise God for his wisdom and power that all, create, that all of creation put on display each and every day. Uh, I was just in the mountains last week. Uh, took my wife over, had some time, got to see my baby girl at App State, got to see App State, win a ball game against Coastal Carolina. It was great. But uh, in that if you ever go to the mountains in the third week of October, you experience something that's beautiful, right? And the changing of the seasons and the beauty and the color. But I, I was reminded of the beauty uh, of the coast uh, when I came back this week because in the fall of the year, the skies in the evening and, and, the, and the sunrises on our coast are unbelievable. And so as we look around and we see creation and, and all that God puts on display, he paints for us a beautiful picture each and every day if we will lift up our eyes and just see it 
and give him glory for who he is. So we praise him in that. We praise him for his sovereignty over all of the universe that he has created. We praise him that he is in control of all things. Uh, Nothing goes uh, outside of his plan and his purpose. All right? Now, these are probably areas that we get into discussion with people at different times in our life, right? If someone determines and, and understands that we are a believer, they begin to want to bring up scientific things. Anybody been confronted with those things? All right? So... As we think about it, we have to kind of land on where we are. There are things that we know. It's important to understand and know that science came against Darwinian evolution and has basically proven that it's not real and that it's false. It's continued to be pushed in our schools as what? Fact. As fact. Why? Because they do not want God in our schools. They don't want him in our schools. All right? And so we see these things. But, you know, how does the truth that God is the creator help you to look at this world with a greater sense of security? In knowing these things, we've got got some questions. They'll all pop up at one time. But how does the truth that God is the creator help you to look at this world with a greater sense of security? These weren't in your books. You haven't had time to think about these, have you? Okay, all right. All right, we can we can look to the Matthew passage, and we can look if he clothes the lilies of the valleys, he feeds the birds of the air. How much is he going to care for you? He knows the hairs on our heads. So, you know, God has made it. He has made us. He's fashioned us. We can be secure because we are his, right? All right. Uh, how can we discuss creation in such a way that we don't appear scientifically illiterate? Okay. Er- <laughs> Even in even in their even in their misunderstandings, uh, even in their misunderstandings, time. Yes, but God has created all natural laws. It is something to to be understood. But it's important to even know and understand the positions that Darwinian evolution put forth and how science has come against those things. Uh, so it's important that we know God's word. But it is also important for us to to take time to study what science has said about the things that are being pushed in our world around us so that we can have conversation that we yes we want to point people to the truth of God's word but sometimes we have to meet them where they are right and sometimes that's in the field of science so I think it's important for us to have a little bit of study and let me tell you science was not my subject neither was math and by that right, no, 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 science and math were my two most difficult subjects, all right? Uh, but we need to know a little bit about those things so that we can have conversations with those around us. What are some ways that we can express to others that we are not ignoring the seeming evidence, but just seeing it different? Okay, it's all theory. We really don't have the fact, do we? I mean, how do we know that the dating systems are correct now as you go back and you look at the at if you go back and you do some more study on the um, mature creationism there are some radioactive radiometric studies that have and show that meteorites and rocks from the moon are the same age as a rock that's found out in the desert okay so there's some there's some struggle with things like that but how, you know, how do we know that those dating systems are correct? How do we know that the flood did not create the appearance of different strata in the earth, uh, in the earth, right? That that pressure and all of those things may have changed. Uh, if you, have any of you read the, the young age of the earth? Have any of you read that book by Ken Ham? Uh, in that book, there are actual, and you can actually YouTube some of his stuff too, but I think there's one, a YouTube thing called The Young Age of the Earth. But in that, there are actually photos and pictures of petrified trees, all right? And they're in different periods of soil all the way through, which could give credence to the flood geology. So it's kind of just kind of having some understanding of all these things, but being able to point people to the facts that you know to be true and things that just really aren't proven all right uh what one thing could you do to advance the idea of god as creator 
and of God's word being reliable above the idea of, crea- of evolution. How could you help someone see that this is where we would find the truth? Are you going to argue into it? You're not. How do we know that this is God's truth? The Spirit of God leads us into truth. It does. And one of the things that we want to do is, is one, begin to pray that God opens up the doors of opportunity and removes the blindness from their eyes and gives them life and hope that's found in Jesus Christ, that they might be able to come to understand the truth of His Word and then walk in those things. Uh, you had some great uh, questions at the end of your chapter. We are... 28 seconds over uh, and so I trust that you work through those questions uh, on your own uh, didn't go over those with you really encourage you to work through the personal review questions the the review questions of the chapter are basically straight answers that you're going to find from your reading but the personal review questions will kind of challenge you uh, to give some t- thought to some things that maybe you've not considered before and so I really encourage you to work through those things Uh, we'll conclude with a word of prayer and we'll let you be on the way Uh, go Braves right let's pray fathers we come before you tonight we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us tonight to uh, study and to uh, come together and to just uh, be challenged uh, and to gain understanding of the created world that is around us and how you have brought things into being and why they are made and for what purpose they have been created so thank you for that thank you for each one that is here and the time that they spent in reading and preparation I pray that you will continue uh, to give them that zeal and passion Uh, to come to know and understand more about you uh, and the world in which you've made and the universe that you've made. Uh, Bless us as we go from this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that this podcast was a blessing to you and that you grew in your knowledge of God. If you liked this podcast, I encourage you to share it with your friends and your family on social media so that others can hear the truth of God's word. Till next time, 